Welcome to the Science of Mentorship. Mentees pay attention to the mentor's behavior and attitudes, but mentors may not always realize that they can serve as role models to their mentees. Mentees, especially students from marginalized backgrounds, are able to envision themselves in the future as successful in their chosen STEM careers when they see a role model succeeding with similar values or a similar background. But when there is a lack of positive role models, students may have a hard time seeing themselves as future leaders in STEM. Mathematician Dr. Juan Meza went through much of his academic career without effective role models. He worked to earn his Ph.D. in computational and applied mathematics from Rice University. And in this journey, he found people that showed him that he did have a place in the future of STEM. Today, he works hard to be an encouraging role model to his mentees. Dr. Juan Meza is currently the division director for the National Science Foundation's Division of Mathematical Sciences. He served as dean of the School of Natural Sciences at the University of California, Merced. Dr. Meza is also a professor of applied mathematics, and his current research focuses on nonlinear optimization with an emphasis on methods for parallel computing. He has received numerous awards and has served on several external boards and federal advisory committees. As Juan Meza went through school, he found a specific subject that fascinated him. He was excited, but he wasn't sure how to follow this new passion. Originally, I was going to be an, an electrical engineer. And one of the things that I think I see a lot in first-generation students, especially underrepresented minorities, is you become a lawyer, a doctor, or an engineer. That's sort of what your parents are, are, are looking at. And so for me, I, I always liked math when I was a, a, a young kid. I loved math in, in uh, both middle school and high school, but sort of, you know, it didn't seem to me that, you know, that there was a job there. Juan's pursuit of mathematics seemed like a dead end, but he had an experience and realized that this dream might still be possible. So I ended up doing a summer internship at NASA where I got introduced to computers. And so then I said, oh, this sounds like a lot more fun. And so I decided I want to be a computer scientist. But it was early enough uh, in the nation's uh, history that computer science was not a major yet. So the only way of doing it was to become an electrical engineer. Juan took steps to become a computer scientist. He looked for guidance and found someone who provided the direction he was seeking. About halfway through my experience at Rice, this is where I did my undergraduate uh, work, I met this wonderful mentor by the name of Richard Tapia, who happened to be a mathematician. And uh, I have to say that if I hadn't met him, I probably would have had a much different career path and, and life. But uh, he kind of instilled in me a sense of, okay, you can do mathematics. It can be fun. I knew that already. But you can actually do interesting things with it as well. This mentoring relationship with Dr. Tapia allowed Juan to discover more of his potential and competence in STEM. But as he explored this world of possibilities, he found there was a major absence of something important. Richard pulled me into his office one time and he said, okay, we've just gotten some fantastic news from the National Science Foundation. He says, we've just graduated uh, three math PhDs that are Latino in the country. 
And I said, well, that's really fantastic news. He goes, yeah. And the thing is, you're half of the contingent for this year. There were six mathematicians, Latino, in that, in a, uh, they got PhDs in the country that year. That was 1986. And Rice had produced half of them. So they were, they were kind of congratulating him, but at the same time, it kind of showed the state of the, of the nation, if you will. There's not a whole lot of people out there. The absence of underrepresented students posed a problem for Juan. There were not a whole lot of role models. So a lot of times it was just colleagues who sort of a, the same age as, as, as myself. Juan looked for a positive role model, but he encountered something else. I've had lots of negative mentoring. It is certainly one of those things where I can remember instances as early as in high school where people were trying to, you know, in subtle and not so subtle ways, discourage me to go into, into certain areas or certain fields. Whether it, it was covert or overt, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes. The overt ones are a little bit easier to tell. And in, certainly in 1970s in Texas, there was probably more of the overt types of, of discouragement than, than there is now, but, but there is discouragement to, to many expects. Dr. Meza pushed through this discouragement and earned his PhD. He decided he would do everything he could to give his students a different experience. 30 years ago, you know, I had seen so much. Uh, I kind of set out to, to help out every, every single minority that was in STEM. And so I would uh, try to shield them and protect them from things. And I would try to tell them, you know, how to do some things that uh, maybe they weren't aware of. And that changed after I had kids, right? Because I, I realized, you know, as much as you can protect kids and, and you want to, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Not only can you not protect them against everything, but you know, sometimes the experience is worth having, even if it's a negative experience. Today, what I try to do is I, I try to tell the students some of the what I call unwritten rules that are out there and uh, then say, in, in essence, you know, you, I'm here, I can, you can talk to me, I'm happy to advise you, but it really is a two-way street. And that's one of the principles that I have for mentoring. It's got to be two ways. So I will provide a certain amount of, of advice and mentoring, but a lot of it is based on what they see and perceive that they need. And then having the initiative to come to, to me to, to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this issue or that. So that's not to say I don't step in every once in a while if I see something that's kind of going to go off the rails. But in large part, I kind of let people make mistakes and wait to see, you know, how they react and then and then try to jump in where you can to be supportive and, and, uh, and help them out. Dr. Mesa guides his students to foster their own independence in STEM. And when it's necessary, he points them to a unique teacher, a teacher he often learned from. Failure can be a wonderful, wonderful teacher. One time I really turned heads because I was asked to give this talk at, I think it was the Lewis Stokes AMP conference. And the first words out of my mouth for the talk was, I want you to fail. And there was just dead silence in this room of about 300 people and all of the, you know, majority of them students. And they looked at me and I said, okay, let me repeat that in case you didn't hear me. I want you to fail. <laughs> and so then I, of course, explained that, you know, yes, you know, what's really important is you've got to take risk. You've got to take chances. And part of that is, is that you're going to fail, but that that can be one of the best teachers 
that you can have. And, you know, it's not an easy thing, but it's it's something that, that we, we need to kind of make sure that our, our students really understand the value of that. As students learn this value, Dr. Meza helps them understand that they are not alone in the obstacles they face. It took me a while to learn this, this trick as well, so I, I can certainly point to a lot of failures. So when the students go down that road, I can always go back and say, yeah, that happened to me before. Yeah, I, that didn't work out for me either. Or, you know, yep, I failed on that. And I think having and sharing that experience and kind of making sure that they understand that, that it happens to everybody, I think goes a long way towards building that self-confidence. Dr. Mesa quickly discovered that mentees weren't the only ones to benefit from mentoring relationships. One of the, I think, major benefits of, of mentoring is that you learn so much from them as well. Different ways of approaching problems, different ideas are coming up. It's a wonderful gift that you get from mentoring. And I, that's I always encourage people to mentor because it's, it's, it, I really view it as a two-way street, as I, as I mentioned earlier. And I think you, you can get so much out of that relationship. He found that there are multiple forms of mentoring relationships, and they're all needed for different reasons. In some cases, people can only connect online, but can find connections and support through online programs like MentorNet. I think there's value to having a, a MentorNet, kind of an electronic mentor network, if you will. I still think that the best mentors are those that you can talk to in person that, that kind of have a, a, a sense of where you're at. And so I, I think longer term, the stronger relationships are better one-on-one. -on -one. But certainly when you have such small numbers in so many different places, just making connections can be difficult. And so I think MentorNet serves a really wonderful purpose of making those initial connections. But I think you do have to follow them up with, with more one-on-one uh, -on -one types of relationships. Going out to coffee, going out to, to lunch, being able to just kind of you know, touch base and see how, how things are going, how the families are going. I think those are the kinds of things that really are useful for, for mentoring. In all mentoring relationships, Dr. Meza knew that mentors needed to acknowledge the weight of their role. But it is definitely a challenge in keeping up because whether you like it or not, and I know some people that don't like it, you are a role model for many people. Uh, just by, the, by the, the virtue of having succeeded to that position, there are people that will look at you as a, what we used to call in the math community an existence proof. You know, the fact that you're there kind of tells other people that, yes, it is possible to do. And, and so that carries a certain amount of responsibility. Let me let me phrase it like that. I think I think it's a responsibility and one that that, you know, for better or for worse, is something that I think is, is important to take on. Mentors should be aware that their behaviors and actions guide students. They may point students to a hopeful future, but if not careful, a lack of positive role modeling could discourage students from envisioning themselves as successful in the STEM ecosystem. Mentors should acknowledge that their mentees look to them as role models and work to engage with their mentees' behavior, values, and attitudes. When this happens, students can discover a whole world of new possibilities for their future in STEM. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the science of effective mentorship and for a guide to implementing best practices in your STEM environment, visit nas.edu mentoring. <laughs>